From Boston University and BU Alumni Relations, welcome to Proud to Be You Around the World. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and this season, we're taking the podcast on the road to meet some of our most interesting and accomplished alumni navigating life and careers in cities across the globe. My guest today is Brian Eustace. Brian earned an MPH from the Boston University School of Public Health in 2004. And from there, he launched his own public health consulting firm, BME Strategies. Brian has dedicated his career to building resilience in local, state, and international health organizations. He led the operational design and implementation of the West African Ebola response coordinated by Partners in Health. Brian is now working to develop and deploy new health technologies through global good at Intellectual Ventures. He joined me on the podcast to talk about the lessons he's learned as a public health practitioner. And of course, I also asked him to share his expert insight on the current coronavirus pandemic. Brian, thank you so much for uh, carving time out of your schedule to join us on the Proud to Be You podcast. If you were at a dinner party, how, how do you explain to people kind of what you do? I mean, just looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've got a couple different organizations you're a part of. How do you, how do you tell people about your work? Sure. And thanks, Jeff. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to join you. Um, yeah, it, it's a bit confusing. I, 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 I like sort of diversity in, in the work that I do. And um, so, yeah, so I, I, I guess I would start right now. I, I currently work on the commercialization team for Global Good, which is a global health technology company that specializes in building new diagnostic, new global health tools for low and middle income country um, as part of the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But I also um, started a small business about 15, 16 years ago called BME Strategies. So I serve as the executive director of, of that business as well, as well as a number of other small initiatives um, I'm engaged with. But those are probably the two that take up most of my time. And we're definitely going to dive in on on both of those things, but uh, you know, I think particularly of interest to me in sort of reading about your your life and your work, your you know that you founded this organization BME Strategies around helping organizations get prepared for global health problems. Correct? Yeah, uh, mainly for domestic uh, emergency response uh, and emergency preparedness problems. Yeah, of a public health nature. No, and then, you know, I bring that up because obviously, you know, this. I, I want to talk about your life and your career, but with the times that we find ourselves in during the COVID-19 pandemic, I, I was quite eager to hear your take on things. You know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the fact that we're all, you know, working remotely if we're, if we're working at all. But um, how, how has your life changed in the time since, you know, the first diagnosis, you know, over in China, that kind of thing. Tell me, sure. tell me about what your life has been like lately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's been, um, it has, it's just like everybody, I think we're all trying to reassess what new new normal is. Um, and so my life has changed considerably. I not only, you know, has spent a lot of time over the last month dealing with uh, folks in my own family that, that have contracted COVID and, and their struggles and trying to make sure that they're they're healthy and safe, but also, um, yeah, BME Strategies has been really active in, in Massachusetts, working with local and state public health officials to, to try to respond to the growing number of cases there. Um, but yeah, as soon as the first sort of uh, outbreak occurred, um, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us in the in the epidemiological and preparedness communities were sort of tracking it closely, um, worried about what what could happen, and. Um, you know, uh, I'm encouraged by seeing uh, a lot of the response and the, the real um, heroic uh, activities of, of healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers, and others, and so many others um, that that it's really encouraging to see. And and, and hopefully, um, we get through this as soon as we can. 
So given what you know about, you know, emergency preparedness, if you had a magic wand to just change the course of this for the United States or for the globe, what are, what are the things that you would focus on to sort of, you know, help make this go away and also make sure that everybody's prepared for the next time something like this pops up? I think the, the things that I would focus on are a lot of the things that, that people are hearing uh, at the front and center of a lot of the coverage, which is, you know, I think access to the necessary supplies that folks need, whether it's PPE for, for healthcare workers and for essential services that are still continuing to operate during this time, as well as access to uh, testing, sufficient access to testing and, and antibody, uh, as well as diagnostic, I think is really key. And then, and then of course, um, sort of the the ongoing struggle that's that's happening to try to identify therapeutics or vaccine efforts. I think if I had a magic wand, I'd have, you know, uh, therapeutics and treatment for COVID immediately. I'd have a uh, vaccine developed immediately, which of course is not possible. And then, and then I'd also have, you know, the ability to communicate really clearly. I think everybody that's, that's isolating in place is eager to get out there and to have no- normal or what, what was normal return and, and have the economy open back up because of so many, so many struggles that are going on with with what's happening there and i think the hope is to try to really you know encourage folks to to still follow the science and stay working and doing their part to kind of isolate and and try to contain this um i think those are the key key factors and you we're talking i'm here in massachusetts and you're in washington state uh in seattle or just outside of it are are things starting to uh you know open back up in seattle or how much longer do you think everything's going to be you know in in isolation and I don't want to call it a lockdown, but sure. Yeah, so the cases themselves are are, are we're starting to see a plateau, and, and things uh, kind of start to look promising in in the Washington area, and so that's really good news because obviously it, it sort of was a hotbed in the beginning and early stages of, of the U.S. outbreak, and so that's really encouraging to see. Um, things have not really laxed, I think, in terms of sort of businesses reopening, and that's a that's a good thing. I think I think we're not not really at that point yet. You know, all public health <laughs> experts, and, and I, I don't necessarily want to call myself a public health expert, but I think all, all folks that are engaged in this work are, are hesitant to offer a, a prognosis of like when, yeah. when things will get better, because it's just, it's, it, it depends on so many variables and so many factors right. um, to, to, to know that. Um, but, but I think, you know, I think that it's, it's going to be a bit of time until we really do get back to what, what folks, well, yeah. I mean, I'd love to continue to ask you to put your wizard hat on and I could ask you all the questions I have, but I do want to um, rewind the clock a little bit. I mentioned you're in Seattle, um, but I saw online you attended Boston Latin School. Are you originally born and raised in Boston? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was originally born and raised in Boston. Grew up in a number of different neighborhoods there throughout the city. Um, uh, Rosendale, Jamaica Plain, uh, went to grade school in Dorchester and uh, and yeah, went to Boston Latin for high school is a, a great experience. And did you have anybody in your life as a, you know, either early on or high school that made you think about getting into sort of health and public health someday? Um, where you went in, went to um, abroad for your college experience, right? To London? Yeah, yeah, I did. I went to undergrad at a small school in, in Southwest London. And yeah, I mean, probably Early on, my biggest influence was just my family. I think the sense, you know, community in Boston is a really strong, prideful thing. And I think I was not immune to that and always felt like a sense of, of connection to my community and, and sort of an understanding that 
work if if you're fortunate to be able to do that is is great if you can align kind of your goal to support and strengthen your community with your work and so it wasn't until sort of after i graduated undergrad that i started to explore health as the avenue for that but i'd always i think at a young age believed in you know, uh, community resiliency, supporting it, being an active member, and then trying to, a part of my process was just like, well, what's, what's the best way to do it? There's lots of ways to engage, to help strengthen your community, whether it's education or business development or whatever it may be. And health just, just really connected with me. I know you also did an MBA. Was that before or after your BU experience? I, it was after many years after. Oh, I, okay. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, as I was sort of growing in, in, in my career and, and starting to take on more leadership positions where I was managing larger teams or bigger budgets, I started to realize I really should, should get some formal training in Got it. a lot of that aspect. So I, I went back to, to school and did an executive MBA program. So what happens between college and coming to BU? Are you working full-time for a couple of years or did you go right into your master's in public health? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I took some time off. I actually... I, well, I took a, a year off after undergrad in London, and I, I flew back to Boston, and I started working um, as a social worker, doing kind of uh, case management uh, for for folks living with developmental disabilities um, to support them uh, and their goals to live and work independently. And I did that f- actually. I did that full time while while attending BU as well. So I did it for a number of years, and oh, wow. and kind of did it at the same same time. But your public health, you were so you were full time student and working full time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh my goodness, how did you manage that? <laughs> it was busy. I was I was lucky because some of the shifts I could take on were shifts where I was say working overnight, um, where I could kind of be um, um, useful if there was an emergency right. or you know. Um, so I was able to kind of. It was a little schedule finessing, but it, it worked out well. So I'm guessing you probably had quite a different experience than a lot of your classmates. Tell me what you what stands out to you about your your BU School of Public Health experience. Were there classes that really had an impact on you, or professors, or projects that you worked on that really might have shaped your career? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there was it was funny when I applied when I was thinking about going to public health school. I I, I literally only applied to one school. I applied to BU, I, and that's because it was not only my hometown school and had a great reputation, but um, I just it matched what I was looking for in a, in a school of public health. It really catered to the ability to work full time, right? They offered uh, classes at, at times that, that were diverse. So you could kind of choose what would fit in your schedule. Um, and it was known, and I think still is, as sort of like the practitioner school. Um, I'm far more interested in sort of the operations and public health delivery aspects uh, of, of global and public health and, and uh, not besmirching any other schools, but some of them tend to be more research-based and, uh, in school and, and that's just less of my interest. And so, so BU was just a great fit. And yeah, I, the classes were fantastic. Uh, you know, I remember, I think everybody remembers Lisa Sullivan's uh, courses on biostatistics. I just think she's, she's such a dynamic teacher and, and that always stuck with me, but um, I had, I had fantastic professors and, uh, and, and extended beyond that, you know, the career services department, I think is remarkable. It's a real highlight of the school. Um, their practicum office is, is, what led to the founding of my company, uh, BME Strategies. Um, so I got I got so much out of BU. Unfortunately, I got far less out of the the social element that I think a lot of people may have benefited from. I I, I just didn't get a chance to really engage in that side of the school. But the the university and the resources itself were phenomenal. I'm glad to hear that. I, I'd be curious to hear more about this practicum that you had that led to you deciding to found your company. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so as part, I don't think this is still the case. It may be, but as part of, of um, the concentration epidemiology, you had to well, actually, maybe it was all of them. You had to do a, a practicum as part of your culminating experience. Um, and I, I got a job working at the time they offered a practicum, a position with the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, where they would place you within a local public health department. So you would get experience understanding sort of how local local public health is delivered in communities um, in the state. Um, and I was just super lucky that I, I ended up um, interviewing with the Needham Health Department at the time. And they had a, a director named uh Dr. Janice Burns, and she was just dynamic, just like a, a pure, truly, I don't know how to say it, a, a, a mentor by her core. Um, and so um, I did uh, a few month internship with her. And um, during that process, she she would she was the type of mentor that would also just tell you to just try anything. You know, uh, uh, you never written a grant before. Like, what's the worst that happened? They say, no, like, go ahead and write the grant, uh, you know, or you you haven't. Uh, you know, try drafting this article for the newspaper describing this public health issue, like give it a shot, you know. And so she would just give you a ton of exposure um, and and a ton of mentorship. And and so at the time she asked me to write the community. This was sort of right after 9-11 in the Department of Homeland Security. And so there was funding that the federal government was earmarking to states and local municipalities to to prepare for emergencies, um, particularly after you know the anthrax issue that happened in Washington D.C., they were realizing that there just needs to be real resiliency in, in local communities throughout the country. And so the, each health department had to write a risk communication plan, and 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 Janice asked asked me to write it for Needham. Um, and when I drafted it, my practicum ended, and so she called me back and said, "Hey, we need to write an, an emergency operations plan that would be about." not just how we communicate risk, but really how our department and community would respond to any public health emergency. Would you think about consulting with us and writing it? So um, yeah, I, I, I joined to, to write that. And then after I'd written Needham's plan, I think Somerville read Needham's plan and then Cambridge <laughs> uh, read, read Somerville's. And then eventually, you know, I, I, I ended up realizing, oh, I, this, is a, this is something that yeah, it just became full time. I, I would write. I think at, at one point I'd written like 130 of the 351 cities and towns health health no health department plans. <laughs> so then the state government asked me to write the state department of public health plan, and it just it just ended up growing fast because of of those opportunities that that I was just really lucky. So wait a minute, you wrote one as a current BUSPH student, and then after founding your company, wrote all those other ones, or how? Did, what? Well, so, so yeah, it's funny. It was I, I wrote one section of one plan. I, I just wrote the risk communication uh, okay. section during my practicum, and then I was sort of uh, hired to write the overall plan for the community. And then once I had written sort of many different cities and towns plans, um, I started to just get more business than I could handle. So I started to to take on. Um, other other consultants that could work with me and we would take on other projects and we'd get asked to to do all sorts of other stuff not just with maybe cities and towns but with hospital groups that wanted to write you know hospital evacuation plans or things of that nature and so um so we ended up just i ended up opening up an office and 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 trying to um set up set up a a business just just really coming out of the the practicum so the work it sounds like 
the work kind of came before the idea to really start a business. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I, it's funny. People are like, well, how did you start BBC? What made you, and I, I wish I had this like grand entrepreneurship right. spirit of this, like, oh, I had this vision for what the company would be. But no, it was truly, truly happenstance. I did one thing and then somebody asked me to do the same thing. And then pretty soon I just, I had, I had a lot of, lot of opportunity. Well, as an entrepreneur then, I mean, you know, obviously you've got this passion for the work and helping communities and, and readiness. What did you learn about running a business that you kind of, I mean, looking back now, what do you, what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, so much. I mean, I think I've, I've learned a ton along the way. Um, I think, you know, every, every business is unique. And so there's certain attributes and characteristics that I think serve serve one industry more than another and that are really key. I think, you know, working with local public health and state public health and and working in preparedness and response, I think, you know, there are key characteristics that that have really benefited and skills I've sort of developed over the time. I think the ability to to build consensus, right, to work collaboratively across jurisdictions and departments um, is sort of a consulting skill that that feels like a soft skill, but but once you kind of use it and 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 um and access it a lot you realize it's just so critical in everything everything i do just you know because often you know we were brought into a project where it might be 10 different cities and towns and their directors of health or their fire chief or police chief and you're you're trying to get them to build capacity around responding in which you know you're you're not any of their managers then nobody reports to you you're just trying to help them get to their goal and supporting them through lots of different opinions and senses of of the way to do things and so um, that that skill is something that I, I I really am thankful for that I think is pretty unique to to that consulting role. I think you know management and supporting people and their uh, ability to grow in their careers and their ability to to try new things and, and feel confident to to explore uh, their abilities is something that I think Janice and other mentors I had was was so useful um, and, and really helped support in me that I think I wish I knew early on how, how amazing it is to, to really focus on that and make that a core part of, of how you mentor or manage others. So, you know, running, founding and, and running your business that you still are operating today, what percentage of your time are you running the business versus actually doing sort of the practicing the work that you're, you're so passionate about? How do you split that up? Yeah. So about, well, I guess almost 10 years ago, um, I sort of made a transition from a lot of the day-to-day work. Um, so I still, I still engage with the business uh, in, a small, in a small way to support kind of the consultants that we have doing the work. But a lot of my time shifted. In 2011, I shifted to working in global health with an organization called Partners in Health um, that, that um, um, has offices around the world, but also has one in Boston um, downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they work in, in global health delivery um, and, and um, sort of really poor marginalized communities, really resource poor marginalized communities in Rwanda, Haiti, Malawi, uh, Liberia, Sierra Leone. And so, um, so that, that was in 2011, I joined them. And that, that shift for me is when I stopped doing, I think, like the full-on work with BME Strategies and really supporting it uh, on a more part-time basis. And, and of course, now I'm in Seattle. And, and so also still just you know, part-time support BME, but really focused on, on my work with, with Global Good. So when you were in Partners in Health, were you living in Africa or was it a situation where you were sort of like, you know, traveling back and forth all the time? Yeah, it, it varied um, kind of throughout my time with Partners in Health. I spent about seven or, or eight years or so with Partners in Health. Um, and at times I would I would live in 
in, uh, in Africa uh, and other times I would be back in Boston. So for the first year and a half, I lived in Malawi. Um, in 2014, I went to Liberia and Sierra Leone to support the Ebola response work that Partners in Health was, was, was beginning to get engaged with. Um, and then I stayed in Liberia um, for a couple of years after to sort of support the government in their, their effort to rebuild um, following the, the Ebola response. No, the Ebola response work is something I definitely wanted to talk to you about. Obviously, in getting ready to chat with you today, I spent some time just Googling you to see what comes up. And, you know, you're quoted in this Atlantic article talking about the work that you had done around Ebola and the fact that, and I, I apologize, I don't know which specific country you might have been talking about, but that Ebola, I think the quote was something around the, the lines of um, Ebola took advantage of a fractured healthcare system and uh, Ebola just completely eroded uh, the faith or the confidence that, you know, Africans had in their healthcare systems. Are you concerned at all about something similar happening here as a result of the coronavirus? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, that's a really great point. And I think, I think it's something that I am very worried about and, and I think is pretty critical. I, I, I feel like, when you look at the the history of emergency response, and particularly with public health disasters, um, the communities that are hit the hardest are the are the ones that are most marginalized, that that lack the the, the that have the greatest lack of access to high quality healthcare. Um, and so, um, what we we may see, I hope I hope not, but what we may see is is uh, COVID. Um, the impact that it could have in 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 Africa and uh, low resource countries um, is 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 really scary, and I think something that we really need to be paying attention to. Hmm. So, tell me about the. I don't know if it's a change for you, but obviously, you know, you, you talked about intellectual ventures and in your work on global good. Tell me more about your role there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so Global Good um, is an organization that is uh, focused on developing new technology and, and um, global health tools to to address a lot of the needs for for healthcare delivery uh, in low resource countries around the world. Um, and so, so my work with Global Good is focused on the the commercialization side of of the products that we develop. So it's to um, work with uh, companies that might be willing to manufacture and distribute. So at Global Good, it's, it's really about inventing the technology and then finding partners that can help scale it. Um, and so, so I support that end of, of the work of, of working with ministries of health or governments to help think about how the products could, could be scaled through their country or working with companies to help think about how they could manufacture and distribute the companies and think about what the value propositions are for, for these products in certain markets and communities. Um, so that's that's the work that I focus on. And is that taking up the majority of your time now? Because your company is still operating, right? Yes, yeah, it is. Um, and so, yes. So how do you balance all that? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's um, it's it's very busy, and there's there's lots of work to do, and um, there's a number of projects that we're engaged with that that are still continuing and still active. There's also efforts within the company to to do work focused on on COVID response and and to meet the needs of of, of the growing challenge that we're facing today. Um, so yeah, things have been quite, quite busy. So when you look back to who you were as a student at the BU School of Public Health, um, would that person be surprised at all to see the kind of projects that you're working on now or, or kind of how you th even think about public health? Uh, sure. Yeah, I would, I would say, uh, 
I, I had no idea. I guess I didn't really have any expectation of, of where things would go uh, um, and sort of what I would be engaged with. I, I knew I wanted to support, like I said, support sort of community growth. And um, and I, I felt like, you know, health is so critical to how, how communities flourish and, and how they how they um, are strengthened. You know, it's really hard to go to work and be active and um, and go to school when, when you're in poor health. And so... Um, so um, I think I had always hoped I would work in this this area. And so I'm, I guess I'm proud of the fact that I, I do um, work on, on, on these things. I think they're really important. And, and so I'm glad to be a part of that, that effort. Um, but I, I didn't really have an expectation of where that would take me. And I, I, looking back so far in my career, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that I've had just such great experiences and worked with such tremendous people. I, I, I didn't necessarily expect it, but very thankful for it. Do you have a clearer understanding or idea now about where you want to go about the kinds of projects that you want to work on? Or is it, you know, is your operating philosophy to still just sort of do it day by day and project by project? And uh, do, you, do you have a master plan for yourself in the remainder of your career? Uh, no, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough question. I, I would like to think about being very deliberate in sort of a uh, I don't know, five year, but people, you know, you often hear people saying you should have five year goals or 10 year goals. Right, and right, I don't, right. I don't know if I've ever really fleshed those out for myself. I think I've, I've, I've been struck by how much of career pathways are not only happenstance, but really are, are, are wonderfully enhanced by being open to the opportunities that appear. Um, you know, it's not to say to put everything up into karma, but I, I, you know, I've been very lucky to, I think the example I gave of like BME strategies and the way that business grew organically, but also, you know, I joined Partners in Health on a one-year internship through the Global Health Corps, and that took me into a you know seven-year career with that organization that was was wonderful. And um, so, so I'm, I hesitate to say that this is this is where I want to be in five years, and this is who I want to work for, what I want to do. Um, but I want to I want to stay active in global health, and I want to. Ha- I've always wanted to be focused on what are the ways to, to deliver the highest impact um, for, for, I think, those that, that, that um, you know, stand to gain the most or, or that, um, yeah. So, so that's, that's really what I'm focused on. And given the career you've had, do you think, I mean, is that, maybe it's not intentional, but I can't help but wonder if that might be advice you'd give to somebody who's just getting started out to maybe not be so focused on creating the plan, but more so on the, you know, focus on what's in front of you and, and take it step by step. Because I think that, you know, nobody, nobody's plan go, always goes the way they think yeah. it's going to. So yeah. is it conscious or unconscious that you've done it that way? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think you make a great point. You know, I, I really do believe that um, that 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 would be advice. I think the way you described it is perfect. I think I would absolutely encourage others to um, to be less focused on sort of where ultimately they think they'll go and more on, you know, as cliche as it is, more on the journey and more on what they're learning and how they're growing and building skills. You know, I think like, like the only reason I, I went back to do an MBA was because I thought, hey, this this would be useful. I, there's a, like projects that I'm, I'm sitting with today on my desk that I would benefit from from knowing some of this stuff. Um, you know, there's budgets that if I knew how you you know do the proper accounting treatment of a lease that, that you know the the place we rented in in Liberia um, would would add my understanding of how that would be structured would be different. And so I, I think that led me to things that that I'm glad I did because it, it was sort of what 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 was needed at the time. And, and I think, 
Um, I, I guess that would be the encouragement that, and, and to not, you know, be, to be willing and open to making large leaps and changes if, if what they're seeing in front of them is, is, is dictating that or, or encouraging that. Well, Brian, I, you know, with everything that's happening in our world, I, I know there's probably a lot of other things you could have spent 30 minutes doing. So I really appreciate that you, you carved out some time to, to talk to us on the podcast. No, it's honestly my pleasure, Jeff. Really, I, I, um, I have tremendous love and appreciation for all that I've, I've received from BU. And, and I think uh, the, I get a chance to engage with, with the alumni and current students somewhat frequently. And I'm always just struck by what a great school it is and, and, um, and thankful for any time I get to, to engage back with it. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Okay, thanks. Thanks again to Brian for joining me on Proud to Be You. And my thanks also go out to all those public health professionals who are working tirelessly to improve the well-being of communities around the world. To connect with Brian on LinkedIn and to see the many ways BU's School of Public Health is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of today's episode. On behalf of everyone on the BU Alumni Relations team, thanks so much for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.